Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The opinions, language, and discussion expressed in Disability After Dark may be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hey guys, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining me for episode 12 of Disability After Dark, the podcast that shines a bright light on sex and disability. I really do want to thank you over these last 12 episodes. We've had almost a thousand downloads of the program, which is amazing. I'm really, really excited about that. That means that we want to have a conversation around sexuality and disability. We want to talk about it. People are curious about it. People have been sending me great ideas for new topics and helping me really grow the brand that way. So thank you very much for listening to a program like this and putting disability and the lived experience of disability in the spotlight. For this episode, I've called it Cripples in the Club because I want to talk about the experiences that I've had when I've tried to navigate the club scene as a person with disabilities. This program is about sex, but part of the places where we go to be sexual are clubs and bars and dance halls we do all those things to express our sexuality and I want to talk about the experiences of being disabled trying to enter those spaces and what those spaces have meant for me and why I think in many ways, not just physically, those spaces need to be made accessible for people with disabilities so that disability can be made accessible to the patrons there. And I want to talk about that with you on the show today. The one thing that you listeners should know about me is that I love the idea of dancing. I love the idea of clubs. I love going to clubs to dance like a ridiculous person. I dance like a spastic robot who doesn't know how to move. Pretty much, I'm like somebody from the 70s who's always learning how to dance and only has one move. This is partially because of my disability and especially because, well, actually, it's all because of my disability and my joints really don't move so well. So when I I dance, I'm doing it for you right now. You can't see it, but I'm doing it. It's like... It's like a one-handed, like, robot, and the other hand's spastically off to the side. It looks really hilarious, but I love dancing at clubs because I get to just be ridiculous. I'm the most ridiculous person you've ever seen at a club because I just don't care. I know that I have no rhythm, and it doesn't bother me one bit. I'm more than okay with to look crazy and silly on the dance floor. When I picture myself at the club with other people, I picture, like, throngs of people around me, dancing and smiling, basically any ad from the 90s that was at a dance club, that's what I picture. Um, Pretty much people around me dancing, enjoying themselves. Uh, In my case, I'm picturing a lot of men, sweaty, good-looking men all around me dancing in harnesses or whatnot. That's kind of where my brain goes. I also eventually picture that I'll be making out with somebody in the middle of the dance floor because I'm so amazing, like you would in every teen movie ever made since 2001, I pretty much imagine myself as Carrie Washington or Julia Stiles in Save the Last Dance. You know those two. They were cool, independent, sexy women, one who didn't know how to dance, the other who totally did. I am the white girl at the club who didn't know how to dance, who wanted all of the cool kids to like her at the club. That's how I picture myself when I'm at the bar. Although, in my case, you should probably add in a wheelchair. Definitely add in a wheelchair. 
Picture me trying to dance with my robot one spastic hand to get your back into it. I'm, pr I'm pr not even sure if that's the real title of the song, but picture me trying to do that in a room full of people, and that's how I picture myself at the bar. I'm picturing that I'll have this amazing night, that I'll lose sexuality, and I'll get eye-fucked by everybody there. And I'm going to be the hottest piece of cripple ass that's ever rolled into that place, and it's going to be the greatest night of my life. That I get so excited by this idea and this fantasy in my head that I can't stop smiling about it until it is that I consider what the reality is like. The reality is a disabled person prepping to go to the club is not as sexy as throwing on a pre-drink party mixtape and choosing your sexiest outfit with your friends. Lasai, I wish it was, I wish it was. When my friends invite me to a club and say, Oh, Andrew, you should totally come to this thing. Come to this thing. It'll be so much fun. You'll enjoy yourself. My brain immediately goes to, immediately, without even thinking, goes to, is this is venue accessible? Can I enter here? Will I be able to? And then I have to figure out what I'm going to wear. I have to figure out, will an attendant be available? There's so much planning that goes into it. You have to make sure you get dressed in clothes that don't hurt your bits. When I was younger and I used to go to the college bars, I used to spend hours dressing. Not because I didn't know what I wanted to wear, but because I had to pick jeans that didn't mean that I was sitting in my ball sack. Many, many evenings I was in excruciating pain trying to look sexy wearing jeans that I totally shouldn't be wearing because they were hurting my ball sack. I mean, I've never had redder balls in my life than just sitting on my jeans at night trying to look cool. And so all these things, getting dressed in the right clothes, making sure that your leg bag doesn't pop off because there have been times when I'm at the club and my pee bag will come undone, come loose, the condom will break, things will happen and I will be like, oh great, now I'm sitting in a puddle of urine, sexy, right? Someone's going to want to grind all over that. Um, you have to make sure you can get an attendant who's available to dress you, slash maybe come with you to the bar if you need more help. There's all these things in this pre-planning that isn't that really doesn't go well with, let's put on a mixtape and talk about your leg bag. No, nobody wants to do that. But you, it's something you have to consider with a disability when you go out to clubs like this and party like this because you want the independence, you want the sexiness to exude from you and you have to consider all of this before you go out, which can be tiring because sometimes you do want to just grab your coat and go with your friends to the club without thinking about it, spontaneously go. I wish that I could do that. I really wish that that was something that I could just pop in the, in the cab and go with friends. That's not my reality. For me to get to the club, I have to book a transit, a special transit bus, like a disability transit bus. If I don't have the funds for a cab or the, the, the regular transit isn't accessible for my mobility device, I'll have to book a special bus. Because, and I usually will book that bus because it will, it will take me directly, not directly there, but it will take me from my door to the door of the club eventually. Typically what happens is you have to be driven all over the city first in order to get to where you want to go. So you have to sit there for hours while they pick up everybody else and their grandmother before you get to the club. So if your friends say to you, let's get to the club around 11, you're like, okay, uh, that means I have to leave my house around 7 and then I'll be on the bus for a couple hours. 
until I actually get there to meet you to be at the club. And so there's so much more that I have to consider when I'm out and wanting to, wanting to be social like that and hit the clubs. Also, I mean, when it comes to these buses, you can't just call them up and have them arrive for you. You typically have to book them about a week in advance. You have to know exactly what time you're leaving and exactly what time you're coming back. And it all has to be pre-booked, sometimes pre-paid for, so you don't have the option to just decide to go. Spontaneity and the sexiness of spontaneity and just hopping in a cab and going and being there and looking hot is super, super difficult. I've also spent a bunch of nights with friends who were heading out to the bars, bars that I couldn't actually go out to, and they're all excited, and they're pre-drinking, and they're partying with you, and then they go to the club, and you kind of just sit there, and you feel really, really upset and hurt because you know they're having fun, and they should be allowed to, and that's great, but there you are wishing you could be with them at the club, also having fun, also making memories that will only be pertinent to you at the club, and you'll probably they'll probably only remember for a little bit, but then they'll remember them years and years later and it'll be a point of like hilarity between them and you can't go because the club's not accessible and you don't want to be the person that's like, oh, could you stay home because I can't be there and I'd like to be. It's not cool to be that person to say that, but inside you're kind of wishing that you could say, please don't go, please stay with me, friends, because I want to be at the club with you. I get invited to these events all of the time and it really kills me. I get it. I get the biggest case of crip FOMO, crip fear of missing out there ever was in my whole, I get really, I just get really, really sad that I can't access these spaces. I feel like I did when I was six years old. When I was six years old, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, those ages, I would go to a lot of school functions with kids and try to play with them and interact with them and typically what would happen is They'd play with me for a second, and they go off in the group and do their thing. And whenever I can't get invited to a club or can't go out with everybody else, I tend to feel this sense of loss like I did when I was six. I feel like I'm the boy on the playground who can't, who doesn't have friends, and who won't ever go to be invited to the party like everybody else. And that's really, really how it feels. And I try to tell myself that the club and everybody can't hold how just how amazing I am. I do a little self-talk with myself and give myself a, a pep talk to show myself that it's okay, it's alright, you're, you're too good for the club anyway, the club's going to be lame and they're going to wish they were home with you, hanging out, or they were going to wish that you they were having a dance party at your place. But deep down inside, I know the club's fucking awesome for what it is, and even if it is lame, I want to be there to experience the lameness with my lameness. There was a disability joke in there, but I'm not sure if it went over. But uh, that's really how I feel. I feel like by being denied the opportunity to go to the club, I'll never be able to be seen and be sexualized and be a club kid at the at the club. I want to, you know, I'm 32 now, so I'm no longer a club kid. Netflix and chilling is my life. Netflix and cripple is my life. But I'd like the opportunity to explore that and not having access to these spaces means that I only have access to my sexuality and my sexual expression and my sensuality in a very specific way. And I'm socialized to sex in a very specific way on the computer or in very, very structured ways that aren't fun and free like it is at the club. I mean, 
the club has its own structure in terms of sexuality too, but I'd like to experience that. And when you're only able to interact with people online or only able to interact certain ways because you can't access these spaces that don't take into account the subtlety of human behavior, it feels really isolating. And it feels really sore to be the only one of your friend group that can't actually go out and experience this stuff. I have a lot more I'd like to say about being a cripple in the club, but first I want to play some ads and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Hi, this is Carrie Wade. I am a professional disabled person and a writer over at autostraddle.com. And I listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. And you should tune in too. Do you want to keep the conversation lit around sex and disability? Want to spark a conversation about something you heard on the show? Feel like shining some light on an issue that I haven't even thought of? You can do all that and get the inside scoop on what happens in my brain after dark by following me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A. And be sure to use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark all over your social media so we can shine light on sex and disability together. One of the things I forgot to mention when you're planning to go to the club as a disabled person and you're planning to go out with your friends with the, when you have a disability is that oftentimes in order to make sure the club is physically accessible to you, you'll have to call the club in advance to see if you can actually get into the establishment. And those conversations tend to go like this. Hi there, I'd like to come to your establishment this coming weekend to go to this event. I'm wondering what you can tell me about accessibility. Now, right after you ask that question, there will be a long pause between you and the the person on the other end. And we'll go, oh, okay. Let me check that for you. They'll pause and put on some 90s music version of a song that you will hear at the club later that weekend. And you'll be sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then you'll hear the phone click back on and they'll go, Oh, yeah, I don't think we're accessible. Sorry about that. Click. And you won't even have a chance to... You won't have a chance to rebut and say, well, is there any other entrance? Is there any other way that I could access the club? How do I get in? You have to deal with, and I've dealt with this so many times, where I've called venues looking to get in and say, basically saying, I want to come to your event. I'm willing to put my money down for your event. Please let me come. What can I do? And the person on the other end will literally say something like, I had a guy once, I was trying to go to this new gay club, Uh, in my university town, and I really wanted to go and party. Everybody was going, and I really, really wanted to go. So I called the club, and I did that. I did the, hi, my name's Andrew, I'm coming this weekend. And they said, oh, yeah, we're not accessible, click. And they just hung right up, didn't even say sorry, didn't even apologize. They said, we're not accessible. In another instance, I called the club, and they said, oh, yeah, we never thought about that. Sorry about, we d- we're not accessible, we never considered that. Sorry, click. And though it's the way they talk to you, the way these individuals who don't know what accessibility means for you, what it means for the club to be accessible, who don't realize, who are too busy feeling the phones to really consider what you're asking, there's so much privilege 
when you deal with these individuals on the phone and you're asking for accessibility. I don't want to have to call the club to ask if I can get in, to ask if, it, if I can actually get there. I just want to go. And the fact that I have to do this constantly and then be met with rude people who don't understand is really, really taxing. When that stuff happens to me and I have to call the club, I almost just kind of sigh and go, you know what, I'll put on some Netflix and I'll be much happier at home. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to stress because the stress of having to talk to you when I realize you don't get it is exhausting for me. So I'd rather just forget about the club and put on the Netflix. But let's imagine for a minute that the club is actually physically accessible and you're able to get there. So you're on the handy bus, you've been being you've been driven around all over the city before you got to your destination. You left at seven, it's now almost eleven until you got there because they had to drive you everywhere first. And so you finally get there and there's nothing sexier then rolling up to the club with all these these people that go into the club and your big, giant, accessible handy bus. There's nothing hotter than that. I gotta tell you, you're bawling if that happens to you. You spend the whole night on the bus and here you are in the big state-funded handy bus that is not sexy, but here you are. Here you are. You're just owning it. It's super hot to come in the sexy handy bus to the club. Especially if the driver of the bus doesn't realize that in my case, I was going to a queer club. So many times when I was in university trying to access these clubs and having the poor driver go, Oh, you wanted the gay club? Oh, I didn't. Oh, oh. And you're sitting on the bus going, Oh man, just fucking drive me there. Just please drive me there and don't judge me. Just let me go to the club, please, please. So that can be super awkward. Okay, so back to the scenario. So you get off the handy bus, you're rolling in. Now when you get to the club and they say it's accessible, if it is, what they mean is, most likely, that it's not accessible from the front. This means that you probably have to find a bouncer to then explain to them who you are and have them take you through some sketchy-ass back alley place for you to get yourself into the club. There was a club in my university town that I used to go to all the time to try to pick up dudes and get my D sucked. Um, and when I would come to the club, I'd have to get out of the handy bus and I'd have to then find a patron, usually smoking outside the front door, and say, hi, um, I'm at the club. Could you just let the bouncer know that I'm here and have them come get me? And they, they would, you know, take their sweet time trundling up the stairs to get to me. And they'd be like, oh, hey, come around the back. And they'd, they'd have to... Um, take my chair through this sketchy freight elevator they had in the club to get me there. And it was like the sketchiest, dirtiest part of the club. And I, So I had to go through like garbage bags. I had to go through that to get in the club. But I, I did because I was like, all right, well, this is what I have to do. And I just remember feeling like, why can't I go through the front? Why can't I go through the front? I'm, of course, that was mixed with, oh, my God, I'm at the club. I get to party. But they, they'd have to get me through the freight elevator. I'd have to fight through garbage to get there. There was a whole bunch of, they also had a lot of their beer deliveries there. So there were a bunch of boxes, really inaccessible spaces that were deemed to be accessible. And then when, if you are able to get into the actual clubbing space, the space where all the people are and all the action is happening, if you're actually able to get there and the club is physically accessible, like they say, 
And by that I mean you and your mobility device, service dog, attendant are in, but are seen as nuisances as half-drunk party peeps shove past you or fall down you to use the washroom. This has happened to me countless times. This doesn't mean that the club is emotionally accessible to you at all. So, yeah, you can get in, but what if your whole experience is you sitting at the sitting at the back of the of the club, unable to move or in a space so tiny that everybody has to brush up past you now. Listen, I had no problem some nights when good-looking guys would have to come up to me and brush their bodies past me. Listen, that me me having spasms into their legs accidentally was no problem for me. Um, but I also didn't like having to have them brush up past me all night because I wanted to be comfortable in the space. Now, if you have a big chair like mine, um, it's, you can, you really, people tend to see you as a piece of furniture as though you're in the way in this establishment. You're not, you're not experiencing the club. You're just, you're just an obstacle on their way to go puke in the bathroom or use, illicit drugs in the bathroom, or fuck somebody in the bathroom. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the club trying to hang out with people, and two guys will be holding hands, heading to the bathroom to go fuck, and they'll trip over me, and it's and they'll look at me with the dirtiest, meanest look in their eye, like I did something horribly wrong just by being there. And so I don't feel in those spaces necessarily safe or happy to be or welcome to be there. So many times I've been in these spaces and my emotional accessibility is denied to me as well. We're going to dive right into why emotional accessibility in these spaces is just as important as physical accessibility when you're in the club trying to access your sexiness on the dance floor. But first, have a listen to why you should hire me as your disability awareness consultant. Hey there guys, I have a brand new workshop that I want to talk to you about. I have a new workshop that I have entitled Disability After Dark Presents, Do Me Differently. And I want to give you a brief sampling of what this workshop and this new lecture series that I want to bring to schools, I want to bring it to community groups, I want to bring it all over to everybody, and I want to let you know what it's all about. So, Do Me Differently, in this lecture series, we'll talk about the realities and inter intersections that exist between sex and disability. I'm going to share my experiences as a queer cripple, but I'm also going to talk about the larger importance of talking about sex and disability and how that fits into different oppressions. I'm going to talk about my favorite sex positions as a person with disabilities. I'm going to talk about how we fuck as people with disabilities. I'm going to talk about um, my favorite moments in the bed with somebody. I'm going to share my experiences as a sexual being to highlight why we should be talking about sex and disability and why we need to shine a bright light on this discussion. I really want to take this on tour. I really want to make this big. I want to make this Disability After Dark brand really, really worldwide and well-known. And it, I want it to be one of the things we talk about when we consider sex and disability. So in order to do that, I need your help. If you could please head on over to www.andrewgerza.com, download my press kit, and send it out to anybody you know in the university system, anybody you know with a community group, anybody you know who will have me over via Skype to have these discussions. I really want to make this a worldwide discussion we're all a part of, and I would love your help to do that. I'm also going to be launching a GoFundMe campaign to get the funds for traveling and things like that, but I really, really 
would love your help in spreading the word. Also, what I'd love for you to do for me is if you could go onto the, the website, I will have put some hashtagable signs. And I call them hashtagables because I created them and they are signs that say Disability After Dark. And if you could print them off and take pictures of yourself with them and post it all over social media using the hashtag Disability After Dark, that would really, really, really help us push the brand and help us continue the conversation around sex and disability. Now that you've heard me shamelessly self-promote andrewgerza.com and the work I do and why you should all hire me to speak, I want to now talk about the ways that the club scene has been emotionally inaccessible to disabled people through my experiences and let you know why that's not cool. So let me start by first talking about the time that I was asked to leave the dance floor because, quote, my chair was getting in the way of people dancing. I was at a club when I was in university and I was going to go dance by myself for a night just to see what I could see and see if I could hopefully meet somebody to stick my tongue into later that night. And I was dancing in a crowd of people, not having the greatest time, but I was just there dancing, doing my thing. Um, and I remember being approached by one of the bar staff and they came up to me and I thought they were going to offer me help or just say hello. And so I was, I nodded kind of quietly and nodded to them while I was dancing and they said, can I pull you aside for a minute? So I, I left the scrum of people dancing and I said, oh yeah, what's going on? How can I, what, what can I do for you? And they said, um, you need to leave. You need to go. And I said, oh, what's the issue? I don't understand why, why you're asking me to leave. I'm not drunk. I'm not impaired. I don't know what, why would I have to leave? I was actually pretty flabbergasted. I didn't know why. And the, the, the bar staff said to me, well, you're actually getting in the way of people dancing. People are coming up to me complaining that your wheelchair is hitting the back of their feet and that, that, that doesn't feel very nice. And so we'd like it if you could just leave. And I said, well, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm just dancing. I don't understand. If they can't move fast enough, then they probably shouldn't be on the dance floor. I was pretty flippant. I was young, and I just, you know, if they can't move fast enough, they probably should le should not be on the dance floor either. And I remember leaving so incensed because I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't moving my chair in a violent swath to, like, hit somebody. I literally was just dancing back and forth on the dance floor, and people were hitting me because when you're in a crowded dance floor, that's what you do. You're, you, are, you should expect that when you're on the dance floor, you're going to hit somebody with your body. Or in my case, with a little bit with my chair. I wasn't ramming them with the chair. They were hitting the little bottom of my feet play, which I will admit hurts sometimes when you, when, you, when, when you get hit by it. It does hurt. I feel, I've hit people by accident with that before. And I can imagine that there's a brief moment of pain. But I wasn't going fast, I wasn't ramming them, I wasn't trying to get through, I was just dancing. And so I felt really in, really hurt that this bar staff would suggest that I had to leave instead of saying to the patrons, listen, Andrew's here, why don't we make some space for him? Or, you know, just be aware that there are people with mobility devices on the dance floor, um, just be aware of that. I mean, if, if the DJ made that announcement at the club, at any club that I want to go to right now in Toronto, if I heard that, I would be so happy. DJs and bar staff, take note. If you have patrons with disabilities in your club, please make an announcement like that. I think it would be so important 
because it would show that you are inclusive. It would show that you are letting everyone know that they are available and that they are there and their mobility devices are a part of their experience. Don't do it to like, hey, we got a bunch of cripples on the dance floor, so be careful of their chairs. No, just say, hey, we have some, some awesome peeps with mobility devices at the club. Um, just be cognizant of their needs and their mobility devices. Thanks, the club. You know, maybe, maybe that's how to go about it. But to ask the person with the disability to leave is just ableism and it's just so rude and it ruins the whole club experience. I left that club and I ended up coming back because it was the only accessible club in town but I was really really angry and I really was really really hurt that I was asked to go. Another way that the club scene has been made emotionally inaccessible to the disabled population is when you're on the dance floor and you're just trying to dance and people are giving you looks like you don't belong there. There have been many times where I've gone to dance at clubs and I've wanted to dance with people and I wanted to get into groups and dance ridiculously and just have fun. And people will give you dirty stares and they will look at you like you shouldn't be there. I've never gotten so much side eye in my life when I'm just trying to dance. And so there have been so many times where I'm doing that and I'll, I'll be going, trying to get into talk to somebody. Because you know when you're at a, a club, you can't hear anything, so the only way to do it is to get right next to the person you want to dance with. And so I'll be doing that, and the whole group of people, in my case particularly, this tends to be queer men, they'll be looking at me like I'm so in the way and I'm ruining their night because I'm trying to get through, and they'll be moving for me, and it's like I'm, not, I'm just trying to get through, or I actually want, instead of you moving away from me, you're the person that I want to be dancing with, and there have been times where I'll, I'll get to the person, and I'll like motion that I want to dance with them, and they will uh, back away in like fear and not know what to do. Their eyes will go big, and they'll get they'll be really weird about it. And I'll, I won't be able to scream over the thumpa thumpa of the music, and be like, "Hey, I want to dance with you," but I'm trying to motion to them that I want to dance with them, but they think I'm just being disabled and can't communicate. So it's really really awkward the side that you get from people and the way that people treat you when you're on the dance floor trying to get into a, a dance with somebody or entice somebody with a dance. I mean, not that my robot spastic dancing is super enticing, but I want to, sometimes I want somebody to grind up on my chair during a dance. Like, okay, imagine if you were at the dance floor and you were just trying to get at that good looking person across the way and you wanted to tell them that you wanted to spend some time with them or you wanted to take them home that night or you wanted to just see what would happen. You wanted to see what happened. And as you're trying to get to them, Everybody's looking at you like you killed their dog or something, and nobody wants that, so please, if you see me on the dance floor and I'm trying to get through to go somewhere, I'm probably trying to meet that good-looking guy in the corner way at the other end, or I'm trying to get to the guy in the circle with the other hot guys. I'm not trying to ruin your night. I'm just trying to move my wheelchair to the other end of the bar without incident, so please don't look at me like I hurt you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just trying to party too, guys. That's all I'm doing, and I'm sure... Any other disabled person will tell you the same. We're not trying to ruin your night. We just want to join in your night. Another thing that happens to me when I'm on the dance floor trying to access people and, and be social and when I'm just trying to get my dance on, my disability dance on, is people will offer help to me all the time. One instance that I remember, I was at a club last year for this event um, and I was excited to be there and I, this really good-looking guy was eyeing me 
at the other end of the bar, and I was like, oh my god, this guy's really hot, we're gonna, we're gonna have moments, sparks are gonna happen, I was hearing angels and violins, and I was having boners, and my light bag was coming off out of excitement, all these things were happening, and, um, he finally approached me, and he said, oh, my name is so-and-so, and I said, oh, I'm Andrew, he goes, let me get you some water, and he brought me a cup of water, and I guess he figured that I couldn't do it myself, which is true, so he got me, he, he got me a straw, and I drank the water, quite thankfully, because it was hot in there, and I was sweaty and hot and looking really, you know, sexy, hot and sweaty, but I was ready to, like, once the water was done, I thought we were going to talk to each other, and I was ready to talk with him once the water was done. So I sat there for about two minutes, and I drank the water slowly, because I didn't want to choke on it with the straw, and then when we were done, he goes, oh, okay, you're hydrated now? All right, well, thanks. And he walked away, and I was flabbergasted because I was like, wait, were we going to have, wasn't there a spark? Oh, no, you just wanted to help me. And it was super awkward because he clearly was doing his, like, good deed for the night by helping the cripple guy in the club get some water. I was miffed and mad because I could have been sucking on something else other than a straw had he just let me talk to him. There's that thing also where you'll see the person that you want to dance with across the way and they'll, they'll lock eyes with you and see you too and they'll come over and they'll walk over and you're getting all excited and giddy that the person's coming to you and it's awesome and oh my god they're gonna whip you off your feet and say some really cool things and you're gonna be together in this moment yeah yeah exciting and so they get to you they lock eyes and they go I just want to tell you that you being on the dance floor is so brave right now and you're going WTF I'm just dancing like a goof on the dance floor. How is that brave? How does that make me strong? How does that give me strength? I'm just enjoying myself. And now you've gone and ableized all over it and ruined it for me. And I can't handle that. That's so not fun for me on the dance floor. So please, cool club kids, please don't come over and tell me how awesome it is that I'm simply dancing. This is not the town from Footloose. It's okay to dance. I'm not breaking any laws. I'm just dancing. It's all right. And me dancing doesn't make me brave. Doesn't make me inspirational. Doesn't. I don't want to hear that you're excited that I'm there. Also, please don't bend down and ask me if I'm having a good night and if that you're so happy to see me out. Please don't say that. It assumes that I'm sitting in my house crying about disability. What I'm actually crying about is how nobody wants to suck my dick. But I'm not crying because I'm disabled. So please don't condescend to me when I'm on the dance floor and I just want to have fun like that. One of the last ways that the bar has been inaccessible to me emotionally as a person with disabilities is that time I was groped by the really good looking at the bar, the good looking person at the bar, not in the way that I wanted to be groped, in the way that I should never have been groped, so that they could test and see if I was disabled, if I was actually paralyzed. I was at a gay event two years ago and I was at this little tiny bar dancing and this really good-looking rugby player approached me, and I thought he was going to, you know, talk to me, and we are going to have a conversation. And again, I was secretly hoping that maybe we would get naked later. So he came up to me, kind of stumbled over me. I realized very quickly he was drunk. I was stone-cold sober, because that's how I roll. Um, and he, put, he started putting his hands all over my legs, and I thought, okay, you're putting your hand all over my leg to, to indicate to me that you want to mess around. All right, this is awesome. But then he was like, oh, no, 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 I just wanted to make sure that you were, like, 
paralyzed, and I wanted to see if you could feel that. And I just was mortified. And I remember leaving the bar just feeling like, oh my goodness, how, why, what gives you the right to touch me to test how disabled I am? That's not sexy. And please don't touch me on the dance floor unless I give consent. And don't touch me, don't grope me on the dance floor unless I give consent and I, I, your groping will lead to us getting naked. Please don't grope me to test if I'm a gimp. I promise you I'm definitely disabled. And you don't have to test it on the dance floor. So lastly, I want to talk about what would happen if clubs actually were accessible. I want to talk about what that would look like and what that would mean for the disabled dancing patrons who would enter your club. What would it mean to have cripples in the club if the club was actually accessible to you? So here's what I envision. I envision that at the club there would be ramps everywhere. There would be access everywhere. There would be accessible toilets on every level. There would be attendant care providers, hoyer lifts, everything would be available. The ramps to access the club would be in front. Instead of making me go through a dungy alley to get to the club and go down a freight elevator to get in the club, you would put your ramp in the front. That way you would not only cater to me, the person with disabilities, you would cater to the older population who may want to come to your club and dance and may, or people with invisible disabilities who can't take stairs but you would never know because they don't look disabled enough. One of the other ways that what would happen if clubs were accessible is that nobody ever would give you side eye when you tried to shimmy and shake it on the dance floor because the club would also be marketed to disabled patrons. So when you open up the ads for the club, you'd see sexy people with mobility devices, sexy people with invisible disabilities. You'd see them being marketed to just like Everybody else was marketed to, and they, people wouldn't be shocked when you entered the dance floor. They wouldn't be like, oh my god, there's that disabled guy on the dance floor. It wouldn't be like that at all. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be like that. And there would be no bar staff suggesting to you that, you sh that because you use a mobility device, you were in the way or you should leave. And if any staff did that based on the accessibility of the club, the staff would be reprimanded or removed. There would be no reason for them to consider you as something that was in the way. The ableism would be reduced because the club would put in measures to ensure that disability was seen. So, like I suggested, they'd have ramps, they'd have attendants, they'd have hoyer lifts, they'd have different things, they'd have, you know, different things so people could see, see disability. They'd have people with disabilities as dancers, they'd have people with disabilities behind the bar, They'd have, they'd have people with disabilities all over the establishment, so the disability would, was considered too. The phrase, we just don't have the money to renovate, would never ever be used, because they'd have to renovate. There are laws in both Canada and the U.S. for people to enter establishments that are accessible. But it seems, a lot of the time, the bars are exempt or forgotten in, this, in these laws. So we would change it so that people with disabilities and the disabled population would come first and the bar owners would never have to say we just don't have the money to renovate. The government would come in and help us renovate these spaces so that people with disabilities could access them. And most importantly, what would happen if clubs were accessible to cripples, cripples in the club? I'd be able to go out with my friends and get my freak on and take someone home with whom I will have recklessly passionate sex and disregard the next morning. 
Okay, the truth is, actually, I'll call you a million times after professing my love. But I could, I would be able to do that if I wanted to without worrying whether I could even get into the club at all. I would actually feel like a part of the club scene because I would matter. And it would also mean if the club were accessible, it would show that my dollars had value. My disability dollars as a disabled person had value. Every time I enter the club, I'm paying to go in, right? So you should make it accessible because then I'll put my money down. Also, and I think we, we've all been there. You know that song by Robin, Dancing on My Own? I won't be like the Robin song where she's in the club by herself and no one sees her. So I won't be dancing by myself all the time, hoping that someone sees me. I'll actually be able to engage in the club culture and enjoy myself. Those are the things that would happen if clubs were actually accessible to people with disabilities. Thanks for letting me share my experiences of being queer crippled in the club with you. And if you are a person with disabilities and you have a club story you want to share with me, you can head over to Twitter and hit me up there and let me know all about it. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Copyright notice. The Disability After Dark podcast, including title, graphic, content, interview recordings, and title music produced and recorded by Chris Ujiuchi, are property of Andrew Gerza. This podcast cannot be reproduced without permission from the owner. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability.